Hi everyone, this is Anubhav Jain. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Rupify. One minute, stop. Ready? Let's go. Let's do this. This could be a great intro. Hi, I'm Akshay. Hi, this is Saurabh. And you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country. And we want to learn how to build a unicorn. Credit is good. Even though we grew up hearing how people go bankrupt due to bad decisions that involve loans, the reality is that credit is just one of the inputs that a business needs in order to grow, just like manpower or raw materials. There are millions of small SMEs in India that are starved for credit. These businesses are too small to be viable for a bank or NBFC to go out and acquire, and they often do not have all the paperwork and documentation that a traditional lender needs. This is the unserved market that became the opportunity to build Rupee Five. In this episode of Founder Thesis podcast, Akshay Dutt talks to serial entrepreneur Anubhav Jain. After stints as a founder of an edtech company and a consumer lending company, Anubhav started Rupify as a tech-enabled SME lender. Rupify is able to help small entrepreneurs get instant access to credit, thereby helping them to grow their revenues and survive bad times. Here's Anubhav sharing the multiple insights drawn from his journey as a serial entrepreneur. So I did my summers in American Express, and it was good because American Express is not used to recruit a lot of people. while it was it was a good decision in terms of you know building your risk fundamentals and all the number crunching and data analytics and all 2008 2009 akshay if you would recall was not the best time to be in a risk management organization if you look at it on paper but i would say i think also created a lot of opportunity to learn because companies were struggling with their risk practices everybody was trying to ensure that they they delivered good numbers especially in the downturn so from that perspective i think i was able to build a lot of fundamentals very strongly during the first two years trust me for the first nine months i was only doing model validation and you know doing quarterly tracking i completed one quarter and then the next quarter came and so like pretty soon after that amex stint you became a founder like tell me about that journey like like you know moving from amex and eventually becoming a founder yeah so i think during amex i wanted to do something and i started this edtech thing I mean, I always felt that we, uh, especially students who were in premier institutions, they got placed at good companies. They got good compensation packages, and but when you look at tier two, tier three institutions in India, they were always struggling for placements. So, so what I realized is there are thousands and thousands of colleges in the country, and there are students who are going to these colleges, but they were struggling with with getting the right kind of job. And started looking at that space, realized that the reason why that was happening is because of the right skills that that were being provided at these institutions. So, can we create a gamut of necessary skills that we can impart to these people, to these students, so that they can uh, they can get placed and they can get the right kind of opportunities? So. With that in mind, we started a company. It was called Study Bud, and I started it like along with Amex, just as an experiment. Then, somewhere in late 2012, I thought I have to do it full time so that I do justice to that startup. So I left Amex and started doing that full time. I think I think I was not made for 
at tech. We struggled in a lot of things. We struggled to scale the business. We could not create the right technology. I think our go-to market was... This was to be or B2C? Like, were you selling to campuses as a package or were you enrolling individual students? So we were B2B and then to the students. So B2B2C kind of. I think that was a big, that was a big mistake. Selling to colleges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so hard to, super hard to sell to a college. (laughs) Exactly. So we realized we should have done it, gone directly to the students instead of going to the colleges because that was very, very tough. At some points, we thought that selling to a college is more difficult than selling to the prime minister of the country. So, so not a scalable model. Couple of years doing that full time, I realized not this is not going as per what I expected. So, so yeah. So, sold that company and I came back to came back to risk. <laughs> like uh, sold it before joining EXL, like you after the EXL. So the deal closure happened after the EXL, but but the talks had started. So I joined EXL. EXL was a great opportunity, by the way, because I was in the two minds in terms of should I continue with study, but I'm looking for kind of an opportunity or a job. And EXL was setting up their strategy team in India for Citibank at that point. And they were looking for somebody to lead that, create the team, build it ground up. So I joined them. And I think that was a a great journey again. Hmm. Yeah, And you had your second stint as a founder. So tell me about how that happened. I realized after some introspection that it was a mistake to go into edtech, but fintech could be the way forward, right? Indian fintech was heating up Akshay at that time, right? This was 2015. I could clearly see that fintech could become like a big buzzword. There is a lot of opportunity in financial services. So why not do something there? So that's where, that's where, you know, I decided, okay, now it's maybe time to to look for doing something on the fintech side. So that's how I left EXL and, and the second stint happened. So I was looking at, you know, how to, what kind of model to go after. Honestly, I did not have a clue. Like fintech was very vast, right? One thing was clear that I had only done risk. So it had to be lending. It could not be anything like like an investments or insurance or, you know, I had no idea about those products. Even today, I mean, I'm not an expert in those those. Areas, but I have some information now. So, so one thing was there that it was lending, and I had only done cards. So that means that I could only go for something unsecured, right? Because having never done secured, I mean, not that it's it's completely different, but again, that's where your comfort zone is. So I started thinking in terms of what kind of lending place can happen, and just by chance, I think this this opportunity came up where. There's this portal called I Am Jobs. On that, somebody had posted, I'm looking for a co-founder for a fintech startup. Right? So this was Aditya from uh, from Bangalore. I was in Delhi all that time. So I thought, wait, there's no harm having a chat. So I reached out. I think he was definitely considering his background, which is more business. He was looking for a co-founder with a risk kind of a experience. right? And he had already raised half a million seed money. And I had no prior experience of raising funds. We can just get started from day one, right? So, so that's how Kubera happened. Aditya and I, we decided we can definitely do this together. And then Aditya introduced me to Anuj, who was also in Gurgaon. At that time, I was also in Gurgaon. So he said, why don't you have a conversation with this guy as well? He could be a product co-founder, right? Aditya is the business guy, I'm the risk guy. We needed a product guy or an engineering tech guy. So spoke to Anuj, liked what he, were, he could bring to the table. And that's how the three of us came together. Right. Both of us, both Anuj and I were, were Gurgaon based. Both of us decided to move to Bangalore 
to do Cubera and yeah, from then to now, it's been six years in Bangalore. And you wanted to like do what, like credit card play or like, like what MoneyTap was doing, like what was the business plan? We were doing personal loans and it looked like I could easily apply what I had learned to personal loans. As we moved forward and as I interacted with a lot of people in the ecosystem, so I met founders from all the capital floats and the lending cards and the and the Zest money and all the companies that were there, right? That's when I realized, you know, where larger opportunities are, what kind of business are being built. Is a line-based product more in the market from a demand perspective? Is a card product better in the Indian context? So, you know, you start looking at the space in much more detail. You start looking at that, why personal loans? Why not cards? What are incumbents doing in cards? What are customers facing as real problems with the bank providing them a card? Why do we, they need a a more digital experience? How can we change that? So those kind of questions we started asking ourselves every day. That's where, you know, my understanding of the sector also started developing. But the first, I think, couple of years was was keeping your head down building at Cubera. So because we were in a space that also had immense potential. There were not too many companies doing what we were doing. There was only Paysense we were competing against. Okay, which is like a fixed tenure personal loan. Correct, which was a fixed tenure personal loan and a and a slightly longer tenure, higher ticket personal loan. So there were companies like early salary and all who were doing almost like payday lending. And then there were banks who were doing like higher ticket, long tenure loans. There was nobody in the middle. So both Paysense and us, we were very well positioned in that mid segment. And I think volume wise, both the companies were doing something similar. It's just that we had our own challenges when it came to technology and all. So we could not scale that well and eventually the company ended up getting acquired. And this was like subprime, prime, what what audience were you catering? So, you know, we were working with the, some of the banks as balance sheet partners to provide these loans. Our rates were higher because obviously we had to make money in the in the in the process. So our rates were typically like 23-24%, which is high for a for a personal loan. But we had created a fantastic process to get you your money in the bank either same day or next day, right? And this was not your 20-25,000 loan. This was like a up to a 25 lakh loan, right? So to get a 5, 10, 15, 20 lakh loan in your bank account same day or next day was a was a great value proposition we had. So we were able to get even the best customers, Akshay. While you while we also expected that the kind of people who will come to us will only be those who are not serviced well by banks or those who will not take this at 23-24%. But what we saw was there were customers ready to come to us because they valued experience more than anything else. Right? So even the the most prime customers with an income of, let's say, a couple of lakhs a month with a great Sybil score of 750 plus working for one of the top organizations was taking a loan at 18%, 19% from us because they needed money right now. He could have gone to a bank and got this money like in a week, right? And at 11% or 12%. But the guy really wanted this money right now. And and so they came to us. So our portfolio was quite a mix. How, how did you manage that? Like, 24-hour dispersal? So I think, as I said, so there are only two ways to to solve experience. One is through technology. The other is by creating and understanding the process and solving the process. Right? I think we were a very strong ops shop. We were a very strong process-oriented company because we knew that we were struggling on tech. So they, that's the place we'll, we'll make up for, right? So we created a process where the underwriting was instant. So 
I mean, that was my my department. So I made sure that the models were running absolutely fine. We were able to assess a customer in like minutes. Even if there was a manual review required on a large ticket size, like a 20 lakh or a 15 lakh. I had my underwriters looking at that case the moment the application came in and, you know, deciding in 10 minutes. So I trained a team of like 10 underwriters to decision cases in like few minutes and quickly roll out the loan offer. We worked with the lenders in such a way we convinced them that, hey, we need, because we are doing these risk sharing arrangements with you, we need 24 hour tat for this person, right? So, so I think we were able to sort those processes out quite well. And I was actually looking at all of that. So in Kubera, the good thing was I was not, not just looking at risk. I was the complete end-to-end business guy at the back end. While Aditya was raising money and he was, you know, trying to position the the product roadmap and the overall business of the company, whatever was going behind the scenes was completely run by me. So kind of like a pseudo COO is what I was working as. And that's where, you know, I learned about creating good processes in, uh, in a fintech organization. In fact, if you if you see Akshay, most of lending fintechs today, technology is just a loan application which is digitized by them. Everything else is still great operations that they run. It's not that they have completely changed how a loan life cycle runs through technology. Customer acquisition is digital basically. Yeah, the, the way a customer comes to them is digital. After that, it's still there is still a lot of manual intervention, right? But yes, most of the fintechs, while that manual intervention is there, similar to a bank or an NPFT, they would run that process in like three to five days, which a typical uh, NPFT might take like two weeks to run, right? And I'm talking about SME here. In consumer, I think most companies today are able to do a, a real-time kind of a process. That was also one learning that consumer is, the data is there. The, the customer segment is much lesser risk, right? A salaried customer always is a, is a, is a low-risk customer. So, you can actually go ahead and you know build models around it in such a way that you can do real time. And and your underwriting was purely on bureau reports. Like if someone didn't have a bureau report, then you would not lend him. Not exactly. So our underwriting was based on bureau and bank statement information, and we were able to get all that in real time because we were using uh, a net banking connect as a as a mandatory step in our in our application. If you have like a Public sector bank account, does that allow this net banking? Yeah, yeah. see, salaried Indian customer, if you see Akshay, 90% of them have their salary bank account in the top five banks. And in those top five, SBI included, which is a PSU. But net banking is one feature which I think most banks, even back then, this was 2016, 17, when we were doing this. So a lot of people, what they were doing, what they were asking customers to upload bank statements, right? Now... We saw that while that is a that is an option, but when you upload bank statements, then you're relying on the customer to give you the right set of data. Because let's say I need six months bank statement. If the customer uploads three months, then I'm stuck. If the customer uploads not the latest six months, but some other six month window, then I'm again stuck. So we were always wondering, you know, that the upload option is not foolproof. So I think we were one of the first companies which said that, hey, net banking is the future. We will not even give the option of a PDF upload to customers. Even if the customer drops off, that's okay, right? But we will only make net banking as part of our journey. So a lot of banks and NBFCs came back to us and said, guys, you are going to lose a lot of volume if you do that. We have only seen like 30-40% success rate when it comes to net banking. But again, I think we created a process where if somebody was stuck on the net banking screen for like 10 seconds or 15 seconds, we had a call center at the back end who could 
immediately call the customer and guide him solve his apprehension about that why this is secure they can do the net banking connect how to do the net banking connect all of that right so so i think that that really worked well in our favor we were able to slowly go from a 40% success rate to a 75% success rate in net banking this net banking connect i wanted to ask one more thing is it like say on linkedin i can connect my gmail account and import my address book so is it like that only like like linkedin opens a pop up where i sign into my gmail and allow yes. access and then yes it's like that you just enter your so you select your bank account which is which could be an icici or an hdfc the moment you select that and you say go ahead and do my net banking connect we open a window where that is that bank window where you enter your bank credentials and that's it and then it immediately logs you out of that and we have already accessed your data right so so it yeah so it was not it was something new to customers in terms of security people were like how can i give you my net banking id password am i sh- sharing my password with you so we had to really educate customers that we are not storing these this is completely secure millions of people have already done it and we were using a third party so they were quite successful in this the good thing about net banking was it was foolproof i mean you have actually logged into a secure bank website now they, the customer cannot uh, fudge that data the customer cannot play with that data it's it's updated it's real time you will always get the latest 6 months banking data so so i think that was one piece of very critical information we were using in our underwriting on a real time basis so we were able to get that information i was able to create some nice variables out of it push those variables into my risk model and and yeah i think that was how we were doing the risk analysis of these salaried customers and why did you opt to get acquired so i uh, i'll share i think in cubera what happened is if you if you recall like we we had aditya who came with a business background i was risk anuj was product but there was no tech co-founder and none of us knew technology so what we did is we said that hey there are two options we build a in-house tech team right and that's where you raise money because you raise money to build technology or we outsource the whole loan origination loan management system that we need to run this business to some other entity so we outsourced it to a third party which was well known in building these systems for fintechs so we roped in a, a technology company based out of bangalore they had their headquarters in california but they had their their shop where i mean most of their engineers some 200 engineers based out of bangalore right so infosys founders ex infosys guys who were founders people who had built these systems for which which most of the banks today use so you might be aware about this uh, software called finacle right finacle is what 90% of the lending institutions use and these guys created finacle at infosys so we said that okay the the background looks great the company looks promising why don't we rope these guys in so we gave them an option that either you take up a part on the cap table or you tell us what the value of this whole technology is over a period of 3 years and we'll agree on some kind of a retainer plus you know some fee on on this business so these guys also thought that i mean they had only done business for us clients before this so they said this is a great opportunity for them to enter india as a market i mean though they were based out of india but they had not done any indian clients so they said let's use this opportunity as a first entry point to indian market and let's do a more skin in the game relationship so they came on the captable as a as an entity and decided that we'll not charge anything for this technology but you know we value this technology at so much this company is valued at x so we take this much ownership in the company great 
Now, as that relationship moved forward, what they realized, what we realized is that both of us were not a perfect fit for each other, right? They obviously saw that there's a lot of work to be done. They can't just copy paste what they have built for US and India. So what they realized is that their estimates of how much they would be spending on our partnership was was wrong and they would be spending much more. So because that happened and they were not getting any returns, right? In the short run. Yeah, there was no cash in it for them. There is no cash in it. So obviously, this was also the first time they were getting into an equity arrangement. So they realized that the money in the bank will not happen for a few years, right? Unless unless they cash out, they take some exit, partial exit or do a secondary or anything. So they were only out of pocket for the first few years, right? So they what they did is they started deploying slightly lower cost resources on this, which was a further setback for us because now the work quality got impacted, the timelines got impacted. And it became a vicious circle. We wanted them to put better resources and we were not happy. And they were anyway out of pocket, so they were not happy. So the kind of output, Akshay, that we got was substandard, right? And this technology that we had created was was literally like could not scale. So it was a very, very difficult phase of our journey where you know, even though we had everything, we had a great business, we had a growing business, we had created a 250 crore loan book, our loss rates were like less than half a percent. So amazing economics, right? 24% we were originating, half a percent was loss. So great spread. But the challenge was not an investable business because of because your technology looks, looks very awkward. So the only option at one point left for us was to see where we could join hands and, you know, where we could just build this business with a larger entity. And that's where the acquisition deal started coming. I think the market knew that the final outcome outcome can can only be acquisition. Can only be an acquisition, right? Their destiny is an acquisition. But tell me something. Why did you need to raise funds when your tech was free? Because you had like an equity partner giving you tech. Most people raise funds for customer acquisition or for tech. And I guess by this time, you would have had a flywheel of word of mouth happening. And you could have, I mean, you could have, Cut the burn, you know, and like being in the survival mode. That could have been an option. Why did you not consider that? We were doing five-year loans. Okay. So the revenue that we realized from the business, while the costs were in being incurred today. So imagine I'm doing 10 crores of personal loans this month. There's a cost of acquisition I'm incurring. But my revenue I realized over a period of time, right? So the cash out is much faster at this point, but the revenue realization is much later. So we were anyway burning money. So to build that business, we always needed an equity infusion. That's number one. Second, I think this this relationship had become very sour with this tech provider, right? The tech infra itself would not have improved in any way to help you cut costs and be more efficient. Correct. I mean, this guy was constantly pumping money into this relationship. And and because if we were not to raise money, then he had no sight of any cash coming, right? Now he was desperate to get some money in this. And he wanted to sell a part of his shares. That's the only way for him to make money. So we had to raise money even if we had to continue with this guy. So it became a vicious circle that even to continue or survive with this tech provider, even though his quality was not up to the mark, but let's say we were able to get one engineer to build along with them. We actually did that. We we got one engineer in-house and we said, okay, let's slowly start building our own tech on top of these guys. But again... That would have needed money, na? Like That would have needed money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came to a point where capital was the answer to all the problems. And uh, so finally what happened is we found uh, somebody who were ready to acquire the company. They were ready to give them, give these guys an exit. Which is incred. Which was incred eventually. 
Incred was like an is an NBFC or is it a fintech? It's a fintech, but they have their own NBFs. And Incred was doing multiple other segments at that time: education loans, home loans, small business loans. They were looking for a good partner on the personal loan side, and I think it was kind of a good match for them. So, so yeah, so that's how the acquisition happened. Then what next for you? During that entire phase, when the acquisition deal had not happened, and we knew we were raising money, but it was not happening. I started thinking that, you know, because we were trying to get engineers on board. So I started talking to a lot of people in the ecosystem. I started talking to people to understand what went wrong, how we could have done it better. How do you build tech organizations? How do you build product-led organizations? So I started this massive reach out on LinkedIn, where I, I think I had reached out to like 500 people on LinkedIn and just started conversations with them. Obviously, I mean, out of 500 reach outs, probably 100 connected and at least 50 to 60 conversations I could have, which was an eye-opener for me in terms of how do you build product companies? How do you build technology companies? Why you need a tech co-founder on day one? So I, and in fact, all three of us, we exited after the Incred uh, acquisition and today all three of us are doing our own startups. Yeah, well, Incred probably had their own team in place, right? Yeah, so Incred had their leadership in place, their own team in place. There was a chief risk officer who was there. So I kind of felt like I was more a shadow in that ecosystem. So I was on my way out and I started looking at what I wanted to do next. That's where... You know, all these LinkedIn conversations happened and through those conversations is how I met Ankit and Javed. So Ankit was a strong product person. I reached out to him on LinkedIn. He normally was not very active on LinkedIn, but luckily he saw my message. A couple of people he saw as common connects. He asked them about me. They said, yes, it's good to have a chat with this guy. We had conversations. We clicked and then Ankit knew Javed for a long time. He was his batchmate at IIT Kharagpur. So he brought Javed into the discussions once and, and you know, I could see that team Forming. I was the risk and business person. Ankit was the product and growth guy. Javed being, you know, worked in, having worked in Google for nine years, had that strong engineering background. So I think it was just a matter of time that three of us decided that, you know, we can leave our, our respective jobs and start this company. So, so that was a long phase. It was a one and a half year phase of, of discussions. And during that time is when I had reached out to a very senior head of engineering at Razorpay also for those conversations. Instead of me connect, convincing him that why don't you join me as a co-founder, he convinced me that join Razorpay. Why don't you speak to Harshil and Shashank? He said, I mean, that's there's no harm. Harshil and Shashank are great founders. I mean, go, always good to chat with people who have built great companies. So, so that's when those conversations happened. And I think it was a very fair conversation. I was thinking of doing something on the SME side. Because after Kubera, I had realized ki that consumer is kind of crowded. A lot of people are doing it. On the SME, on the B2B, there is still a lot of opportunity. So why don't we do something there? That's where I decided that let's do something on the SME side. And these guys were anyway looking for someone to head their lending business. So Shashank told me, Anubhav, you're going to raise money. You're going to build a team. You're going to do all that in your startup. Run that as a startup within Razorpay. I'll give you full flexibility. I'll give you full freedom. You are the CEO of lending within Razorpay. Do it. Do whatever you want. Which sounded like a great offer, right? Because A, it was complete, you know, like running your own company. And B, you were part of Razorpay. So you could use all the knowledge and resources from Razorpay to learn. And you get paid a good salary. <laughs> on top of that, which we never were as a founder. Mm -hmm. You don't ever. have to worry about funding and all of those things. Like that funding question is taken care of. Exactly. So so I think from that 
perspective, it looked like I can try that out while my conversations with Ankit and Javed had not reached the level where, you know, we knew what we wanted to do. We were still brainstorming, whiteboarding, thinking of what to do. They were still in their jobs, right? So I joined Razorpay as head of Razorpay Capital. But I think somewhere that, that again, the itching to start something again was there at the back of the mind. So Razorpay was a very short stint of six months. The moment Ankit, Javed and I, we knew that we have, we have something concrete, this is what we wanted to do. I think that's when we decided to leave our jobs and we started Rupify. And what was the thesis? L- like, w- w- what did you want to build this time around? So Ankit's background actually came from running two companies before, which both had a small business kind of customer segment. And he had run into working capital issues. He understood the importance of working capital and all that. I had done commercial cards for Amex the first three years. So I understood small business side of things. And SME was definitely exciting me. So SME was the space we were looking at. That was clear, Akshay. But as we started going deeper and deeper, see, SME was not something that was not done. There were companies like Capital Float, Lending Card, IndieFi, MintiFi, Ziploan. All of them were there when we were starting. So it was not that there was no nobody in the market. So we started thinking and asking ourselves, what is it that these guys are not doing? And what is the problem we are solving, really? Right? As we went deeper, what we realized is the long tail SME is still underserved. Right? So you have fintechs, you have banks and NBFCs. Banks and NBFCs cater to the top 10-15% of your enterprises or businesses. Fintechs come and focus on the next 20% maybe. But the long tail, nobody touches. And the reason why nobody touches long tail is also quite obvious. The ticket size is very small, so you can't make money. The cost of acquisition is very high. Again, you you can't justify economics. A lot of the business is in cash, so you don't have data to understand. Balance sheet does not exist for a small business. And collections is a big, big hassle for the very small business. They don't understand why they have to pay back, how paying back impacts your credit score. It's just a lack of awareness. So we could see there are multiple problems. In the long tail asset. And this long tail means like what? Businesses with one or two crores of turnover, like that scale or like? Sub two crores, yeah. Below two crores. And that's where we realized that there is no way you can go and approach this customer with a lending product, right? We saw how Khatabook had created a, you know, large base of SMEs by offering a product which does not solve working capital on day one or lending on day one solves another problem of their day-to-day use, like bookkeeping. Which gives them data. Right. It gives them data. We also were almost seeing, though it was not completely, uh, Bharat Pay had not scaled to that level, but we could see how Bharat was creating that repository of data through their QR codes and then they will use it for lending. So we were very clear that we have to find a hook to first acquire these SMEs and get their data and then, you know, go into solving their capital requirements. Obviously, Ashneer was a friend. Ashneer uh, had invested in Kubera as well. He had invested in Rupify as the, he was the first person to write a check. In fact, when I was joining Razorpay, I got a counter offer from Ashneer. Uh, to join Bharat Pay. To join Bharat Pay as the, as the chief risk officer. So, but I had already accepted the Razorpay offer. So I could not say no to, no to those guys. So, yeah, so I had understood Bharat Pay model quite in depth through my interactions with him. This was a learning. So what we realized is we have to be part of a day-to-day transaction 
of the SME and then embed some kind of a lending layer on top of it. Now that day-to-day -day transaction could be bookkeeping, could be payments, could be anything that they're doing. And that's where we realized this key year, there are 60 million SMEs in India. 45 million of them are retailers. And uh, these retailers, uh, there is a large long tail of these retailers, Kirana shops, medical shop, some small mobile shops, some recharge shop. And they buy supplies from a distributor or from some kind of a vendor on a regular basis. So we decided we'll embed ourselves in that purchase supply journey, right? And that's how Rupify started. We, we saw that traditionally these retailers have been buying from distributors, but that is changing. Udan has come up, has completely disrupted the space. In 2019, when we were brainstorming, we at least, this is where I think I would give a lot of credit to, to Ankit my co-founder, he said, Anubhav, there are 10 more Udans that we will be, that will be built in India, right? This is just a beginning. Digital B2B is going to be very big. And he's right. Like Moglex is there. Correct. Now you see Moglex, Infra.market, Seatwork, DealShare, you know, all these, there are like, there are actually 10 unicorns in B2B space today. So, so he said, this is the way forward. Why don't we start with digital B2B? A lot of these players are all startups, so they will be open to ideas. We could just embed ourselves inside their journey and offer this like a credit solution. So anyway, while Udan has built their own credit vertical, not everyone can do this on their own. So why don't we start as a B2B BNPL company? And that's how, and that's how the idea for Rupify came to us. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. Essentially, you want to create a transaction solution like Khatape is a transaction solution which gives you data. So what was that transaction solution you were creating? Because Udan and all these unicorns already have a digital ordering yes. uh, solution. They are essentially digital first. So what is the opportunity for someone else to come in and offer any kind of transaction solution? So I think actually what we said is that data already exists with them. We'll use their data, but we'll create the underwriting and the collections and the lending layer on top of it. So let's say there is a there is a B2B marketplace. They have their own ordering systems. These hundreds and thousands of SMEs are ordering from them every day. Why can't I just use that transaction data to, to work with these marketplaces? It's their customer, it's their data, of course. But, but they don't have the experience of underwriting. They don't have the experience of collections. They don't have the experience of sourcing a balance sheet. I'll do all that. End to end, I will manage and, and help their customers get 15-day, 30-day, 45-day, 60-day payment option, credit option. So essentially, like you empowered an Udan and other such B2B e-commerce companies with BNPL. The way Amazon offers BNPL through partnerships, like Amazon doesn't have its own BNPL. We work with some of the very large names in the ecosystem today outside Udan. And, and yeah, so we went to everybody, right? From the, the Zomatos and the Swiggies and the Amazons and the Flipkarts and they all have B2B businesses. So on their B2B side of business, we we started. What is their, what is Zomato and Swiggy's B2B business? Like I thought they were B2C companies, Zomato and Swiggy. They are largely B2C, but you know, Zomato had acquired a company 
which is now called Hyperpure, three, four years back. Okay. Now, what Hyperpure does it, it supplies raw materials to restaurants. So restaurants can buy fresh fruits, vegetables, pulses, all your staples, everything that they need to prepare food, right? From Zomato's Hyperpure business. So we got Hyperpure as our first client. We were able to convince Hyperpure that guys, you are doing, you're providing this to restaurants. So we can be your BNPL partner on the, on that side. So, so that's uh, Zomato's uh, B2B business. Swiggy has a similar B2B business called, I think, Staples Plus or something. I'm not sure about the name. We're not tied up with them. So can't comment, but, but all of them have. Right. Flipkart, for example, has a B2B business called Flipkart Holes, which, which supplies to Kirana stores and mobile shops and all of these. In fact, they are one of our largest clients, Flipkart Wholesale. So, so yeah, so we could see that B2B will be bigger. In fact, B2B digitally is always four times than consumer, right? Because for one transaction that you are buying a phone from a shop, there are four different B2B supply chain you know, arms at the back end, right? Brand to wholesaler, wholesaler to distributor, distributor to retailer. There are three more chains, right? So there is 3x business to be done on B2B for every B2C transaction, right? So so I think we were, we were very clear that B2B will get digitized. COVID happened after we started. So our thesis proved even more correct because... Now, those businesses who were even transacting offline started going digital. And that's why you've seen, Akshay, that in the last two years, so many digital marketplaces have secured a lot of capital because businesses have started going digital. That's the future. Digital B2B is the way forward. And we found ourselves at the right place at the right time, you can say. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, most of these companies like Khata Bog Bharat, they are doing underwriting based on sales data. How do you do underwriting based on purchase data? Sure. So, you know, let me take a step back and give you a better sense of the kind of solving. So, what are we so trying to solve? You know, we are trying to provide a working capital credit line to the retailer to buy from a distributor. Now, why does he need working capital limit here? Because they are essentially buying, let's say, supplies. I'm a Kirana shop. I'm buying supplies. I'm keeping them in my shop and then I'll sell them. Now, it will take some time for them to sell. So, I'm out of pocket for 15-20 days till that material is sell, sold. That 15-20 day period is what I need capital for, right? So what we are, essentially what a distributor does is tells, he tells the Kirana shop that, okay, take this, pay me after 20 days, right? You take this material on credit. Now, the same thing we have to do for a B2B marketplace that if let's say a Flipkart wholesale or a Rudan, just as an example, is selling to a Kirana shop, we have to offer a 15-20 day credit to the Kirana shop. Now the question comes, how do you underwrite? How much limit should you give to this to this Kirana shop? So essentially what we are doing is we are trying to assess how much do they need and how much will they be able to sell, right? So what we do is based on historical data, we know that this particular retailer has been buying, let's say for the last 12 months, on this marketplace, X amount on an average every month, right? Let's say that's 20,000 rupees. That means at least 20,000 rupees of stuff he is able to buy and sell every month. That's why he's coming every month and buying from this B2B marketplace. So what we typically do is we look at that history of purchase 
and try to assess how much business this particular retailer is doing, which is 100% guaranteed based on this data. See, he could be selling much more because he's buying only 20,000 from one particular marketplace. But he's buying 2 lakhs from another marketplace. He's buying another 5 lakhs from distributor. So his total sales may be 10 lakh. But I don't care. I just have to give him enough limit so that he can continue buying 20,000 from this marketplace. So that's what we do. We only assess the transaction relationship of an SME with a supplier and not his overall business potential. Typically in traditional lending, you will ask him for a bank statement. You will ask him for his ITR and other financials and then try to assess his overall potential and then give him a limit. I don't have to do that. There is no point giving him a 5 lakh limit on a particular marketplace when his average monthly purchase on that marketplace is only 20,000. So what we do is we look at the historical transaction data of that retailer on a marketplace and look at various things. What is his frequency of purchase? What is his consistency of purchase? What is his volatility? How many times does he buy in a month? Is it seasonal? Is it not seasonal? Is it growing? Is it is it declining? All of that we see. And basis that we give him a limit. Now that limit on an average of 20,000 can be 20,000. It could be 40,000 also. Because we may see that, okay, its average is 20, but it's growing. We should give him a, some buffer so that he can increase his business. So that's how we underwrite and that's how we assign a limit to, to the Kirana store. Now, what is definitely possible and it's happening today in our use cases, the same retailer, I'm approving another 50,000 on another marketplace. Right? Because this guy, he is buying supplies from five different places. He's going to Flipkart also. He's going to Walmart also. He's going to Metro Cash and Carry. He's going to Uran. And then he's going to his offline distributor. Yeah, whichever has the best best deal, basically. Like like that deal hunting behavior is ingrained in. Exactly. Exactly. He, this retailer is very smart. He will buy different SKUs from different places because he knows where he'll getting, he's getting it the cheapest. So if he, he's splitting his supplies across different suppliers or marketplaces. The same way I'm splitting my overall exposure to this guy depending on his purchasing on these different marketplaces. So that's how we underwrite. And that's how we have been able to, you know, limit our risk and exposure because we are only taking that much exposure, which data suggests is, uh, is possible. And through KYC, you know, okay, I've already given him a limit in another platform. Like they'd probably upload a Aadhaar or a PAN or something which helps you identify. Yeah, yeah. So KYC, they only have to do once because they don't have to do KYC again. And yeah, so you're right. But, but how do you know this is the same merchant on Flipkart and the same merchant on, let's say, Hyperpure? Like based on a phone number or something like that, login email ID. Or... Yeah, mobile number. Correct. So mobile number has kind of become Akshay the, the unique identifier. What, what you know, could be a, in a salaried customer, it could be PAN also, right? But for a business, we use mobile number as the unique identifier in most cases. And uh, if we see the same number appearing in two different partners, we know it's the same merchant and we are able to, you know, reduce friction from his onboarding by not doing KYC again. So, and our lender also knows that. I mean, as per compliance also lender also does not need to do kyc again right i mean if let's say you are a if let's say you are a savings bank account customer with a bank and you then go to them for a loan they don't have to do your kyc every time they've already done it once 
And okay, so what is the experience for the merchant? Like at the checkout, he will have one more option, like it will be net banking, UPI, and pay later, something like that. Exactly. So it's it's a checkout option. He will see UPI, he'll see net banking, and he'll see pay by Rupify. Now, pay by Rupify is not, nothing but the credit line option where he'll see you you are placing an order of 20,000, you have 30,000 available limit. So you can use Rupify to pay. Let's say if he doesn't have sufficient limit, so he has only 15,000 limit, then also he'll see Rupify. 15,000 will go from the Rupify line and 5,000 he will have to pay additional. Right, okay. And so tell me about the integration journey. I think that's a key part, right? The You essentially need to integrate with these marketplaces to grow the business. So how did the first integration happen? Was it a smooth experience? What did you learn from that? And how does it happen today now where, where your integration, what is that status like? Integration journey has been evolving. Actually, I think our first integration was was quite tough. It's not easy to convince someone like a Zomato if they are your first client to integrate with, with you, especially when you are a 10 people startup who has not even raised a million dollars, right? So... But, but you had raised some sort of angel or family round like... We had some something like a 650k, but, but we were very small. We had no no credentials, no background, nothing. So, so while they decided to give us a chance, but not in an integrated manner. It was a semi-automatic, semi-manual mode, right? So, so integration, I would say, I would tell you the learning has been that now we obviously push for integration on day one. But initially when we started, we, you have to start in a physical manual mode, show some volume, show some, show some traction, show some, you know, confidence, build some confidence in the other party. And then they integrate, right? Because technology bandwidth is like the most prized thing today in the country, <laughs> in the startup world. So nobody likes to give you their engineering bandwidth so easily. So that first integration, like, like they gave you data of buyer's history and then you would underwrite and give it back to them. Okay, these buyers, we will give this limit. And then they would like send an email to the buyer or something or whatever. Correct. They would manually enable them on the checkout page. So, so they would tell us that, okay, these hundred restaurants data is here. We will, we will underwrite them. We'll tell them that these 50 are good to go. Those 50, they will manually enable in their backend. And those 50 will now see a Rupify option as they go on their checkout page, right? So that was the journey. Now it's a fully seamless journey where we have APIs to integrate. So today to take Rupify live is less than a week process, right? Yeah, it'll be, I mean, the goal is to make it as easy as a payment gateway integration, I'm guessing. like Absolutely. Absolutely, Akshay. So when we started, our integration was almost like a month long process. Then it came down to two weeks. You have to talk to their database so that you can do underwriting. And each database would have unique way of structuring data. So your uh, underwriting engine would need to be tweaked to that. Yeah, I mean, initially we were tweaking it. Now we've created a process where, you know, we are flexible. Whatever ways a particular marketplace has structured their data, and we can read. We are absolutely open to that, right? So, so I think from that perspective, a month-long integration timeline came down to two weeks. Now it is one week. The goal, right, like you said, is to reach a one-day go-live, right? Where, like a payment gateway, you know what they say, this is a line of code, you put it in your, you place it somewhere and then you can start accepting payments within 30 minutes. Something similar to that is what we need to achieve. We're still not there, 
we we are still working on it but but i think that's the end goal so yeah integration wise i think because it's bnpl there are four integrations we do we have to do an integration on the checkout page for transaction we have to do an integration with the ordering management system to get the data for underwriting we do one integration on on repayment because we don't have our own app so if the customer uses rupify how will he pay us back so we create a repayment screen within the marketplace app so there is a repayment integration and then there is a statement of account api which basically tells the guy that what's your statement looking like how many transactions you've made on rupify what's your total outstanding when is the next transaction due what is the due date what are the due amounts all that details so so four simple apis is what we have to integrate today so the repayment bit is interesting i want to dig a little more over there why not manage collections through your own app or like like that that's like again making the integration tougher right where the business also needs to create that additional repayment and then you would also need to enable some notifications to them through the app like the udan app should tell them your amount is due today or whatever no that's a valid question and that's what is work in progress so initially you know when see rupify was not a brand name when we started nobody it was difficult for us to convince someone to download our own app just just for repay i mean what is the use of that app other than collecting repayments right so and secondly you know we always knew that this is a marketplace customer in the first place it's not a rupify customer he understands marketplace more he has more relationship with them so what we did is we used that to our advantage where we said that hey it's not a rupify credit line on flipkart wholesale it's a flipkart wholesale credit line powered by rupify so when we used to call them for collections we used to tell them your flipkart credit line is due can you go to the section in the app where it says credit line powered by rupify and make a payment so customer would always respond to that kind of a call rather than saying i'm calling from rupify to collect your money he would say who is rupify right so we because and that's a true embedded product right we are embedded deep inside the marketplace so so we use that but what you mentioned is absolutely correct now we are thinking in terms of if that makes the integration heavy can we keep the repayment side of thing on our platform maybe somewhere on the cloud or you know maybe make it a whatsapp feature where we can collect this money from them without making the integration with the marketplace heavy so so that's right okay how does collections work for you like you send like sms email reminders and with links to pay and like you handle collections right that's not the because you are the the lender basically yeah yeah no so we have to own collections because we we take risk with the market play uh, with the lender so we have to do collections on our own and and as i said you know when we started rupify one thing was very clear that collections has to be built as a capability there is no other way for we to scale uh, a long tail sme business if we can't ace collections right so we have had focus on collections from day one so what do we do in collections we have multiple parts of solving for collections one is we have a stop supply arrangement with the marketplace so if the guy does not pay we block him on that app so that helps us collect because nobody wants to stop their supply from a flipkart or a walmart or anybody Hmm. basically danda ruk jayega like right ha matlab wo even if it's 10% of their business that business will get impacted why would you stop for a small ticket credit line we are not giving him 20 30 50 lakhs jiske liye he will take that kind of an exposure so so he'll not take that kind of an exposure for a small ticket line he'll not take he'll not disrupt supply nobody will do that so that's number one but on our internal side for collections what we do so we do 
multiple channels of com- communication. We do WhatsApp reminders. We do IVR and SMS reminders. Then if you still don't pay on time, then we start calling the customer and educate him why paying on time is important because A, it impacts your credit score. B, it impacts, you know, your future buying with the marketplace because we could we could block you. C, it obviously attracts penal interest, right? We tell the customer to to make the payment. And then if, let's say, some very small percentage of customers are still left, then we have on-ground collections team as well who go and visit the customer, you know, because the customer also needs to know that these guys are for real. They are not just some online app and I can escape without making payment. A lot of, you know, in India, a lot of digital apps have struggled because they they don't have presence on the ground. And customer also thinks that these guys are not going to chase me for this small amount. So I'm very well okay not paying this. So we have to just give him that signal that, hey, we are here. You may be a small retailer in Jharkhand or you may be a small retailer in Odisha. I have my team present, right, in your city. But this would be through an agency or something. No? Like, like it will be too expensive to build this. Yeah, yeah obviously. obviously. So 30, 30, 35 locations, the top 30 cities, we have our own team. Outside that, it's uh, it's all third party. In fact, what we do is, let's say we work with uh, we work with a marketplace like Flipkart Wholesale. Now, they have their own BDA or the Business Development Associates in every city. We ask them to do the nudge for us, right? Because in their best interest to help us collect so that we can retain that customer. So, we use their help. We tell them that, hey, while it's great you have helped us acquire the customer, can you also help us collect? Just give him a nudge. Just tell him that he needs to pay this money, right? So we get a lot of support from our partners also. We get a, and and we have a collection team. So to give you a sense, I mean, it's a very important topic collection. So we actually got a very senior collections person on board very early on in the journey. He had done, he had done collections on cards for nine years for one of the top banks. He had done loan collections with two of the largest NBFCs for five years. He had done telecom collections, Airtel, Tata, all these for six years. So, the good experience he has built. And you know, between when I was in Kubera, I had gone to Shanghai once and I met this P2P lending company there. And they used to do this very small ticket loans. And they told me that they had 6,000 employees in that company. It's a listed company in on New York Stock Exchange. And they said out of 6,000, 3,000 people are in collections. Today, if you see Rupify, we have we are 170 members strong and nine, 90 same ratio. Half of us are in collections. So I think that's a that's the focus. You know, we have on collections that there is a thirty member tele collections team. There is a sixty member on ground collections team that we have, and and we constantly keep innovating on both. How can we use technology for collections? But we also know in India, fintech is not just like a WhatsApp of team of forty five people, right? You can't build a lending fintech without getting your hands dirty. So you you have to have you have to have collections. Got it. Okay. Okay. What is your default or NPA rate? Like, what kind of rate do you see? So we have less than half a percent. I can't give you the exact number, but we have less than half a percent as of today. It's very very, which is extremely low compared to yeah. It's very low double digits. But you know, Akshay, I think while obviously this is a good number to have, but I think this or something we expected because it's a closed loop product. It's a supply chain product. It's a day-to-day use product. The customer is very clearly aware that, you know, this is a payments product for him. 
we are just helping him defer his payment to manage his working capital there is no money in the bank for the customer we directly disburse the money to the supplier so we, we there is no incentive for the customer to default on this right unless he is really struggling he is really stressed the business is on the verge of shutting down there is no reason for the customer okay help me understand the economics uh, of the business what does the money cost you like what is the cost of funds to you what is the cost of funds to the customer what is the spread in between and so on like, like sure so for the retailer there is no cost if he buys 10000 rupees of stuff from from a flipkart wholesale he pays only 10000 rupees back to us not a single penny more it's a fully subvented product like 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 all other what what is subvent what does subvent mean so like all other bnpl products that you see like if you for example you know bajaj finance how they give you a consumer loan when you go to buy a tv and it says 0% 0% em right now somebody is paying the cost of that loan right so in that case subvention is basically the brand so if you are buying an lg tv lg knows that by tying up with bajaj finance my sales is going up so lg bears a part of that finance cost and the retailer who is selling that tv on in his shop also knows that by offering this finance option my sales will go up so the retailer bears a part of that cost of that finance cost right so that's that subvention so the same way in our case also the marketplace knows that by offering rupify bnpl option my sales will go up my customer stickiness will go up you know my customer will be more happy so they offer a part of the the sale to us right as as subvention so this that's how we make money now that subvention can be depending on the sector depending on the credit cycle could be anywhere between 1 to 4% right so for let's say fmcg most of the credit that we offer is 14 day credit for pharma for electronics for fashion most of the credit we offer is 30 to 45 day credit for for home improvement for production construction goods the credit we offer is 60 day and for to be agriculture inputs the credit is 90 days because agriculture is a longer cycle so depending on these cycles and depending on the sector our subvention or our revenue is anywhere between 1 to 4% so that's our gross revenue from that you subtract our cost of capital because we are also basically working with a lender so we have to pay them a certain a certain percentage as a hurdle rate that could be anywhere between you know 12 to 14% annualized right so so that comes out to be let's say on a 30 day product that could be 1% right and let's say my subvention is 2% right so i have a 1% spread that that's how the business makes money now from that 1% i have to cover everything i have to cover losses i have to cover collections cost i have the have to cover my opex cac for customer acquisition cost for me is almost zero so that i don't have to really worry about so that's the that's how the economics work it could be it could be half a percent or a percentage up or down i've given you a broad range of how this business works do you also have an opportunity to make money if someone wants to roll it over further was to like you know take more loan on it like extend the period or things like that like like how on credit card you can convert your balance into emi and pay something on that so we have all that option so let's say i'm a kirana store standard credit cycle is 14 days but for some reason it's festive season i want to stock up more i need 30 days so we have that option the marketplace will obviously not pay for it so they will only pay the first 14 days of subvention 
the extra 14 days the the retailer can pay from his own so that we have we give that <clears throat> so it's a very flexible product we do help businesses extend in fact i'll tell you when we started it was bang in middle of covid nobody was ready to lend to smes government had announced all those moratoriums and we did guarantee schemes and support schemes and also lenders were quite under two minds in terms of how this portfolio is going to evolve so a lot of lenders had stopped new sourcing and new lending to smes so we used that as a opportunity to scale the business so but then the second wave came so obviously we had businesses coming to us and saying guys there is lockdown there is there are only few hours of business available we can't pay you in 14 days we can't pay you in 30 days so we give them we give them that flexibility right we we had to offer it to businesses and that's why you know while there were some short term impact on the portfolio in terms of delinquency going up but all of these guys eventually when the business became normal they paid so we we we've, we've had people delaying payments but we've not have people defaulting on payments right and that is a possible because we've been very flexible with businesses right and it's not like a your salaried customer who gets his salary on first so he will pay an emi on fifth that does not happen in sme there is no fixed date there is no fixed income so you you have to be flexible with them 14 days product can go to 16 day you have to be flexible and give them that two day buffer right and i think that's but 16 day will be without any extra penal interest and any of those costs like like that correct correct you have to give them some grace period you have to be flexible around it if you start charging right like a credit card if you start charging like interest right from the next day right that that does not work you lose customers you right because these are smes they may be one or two days delayed and that is where we are right now you know innovating akshay and working with lenders and telling them that we need systems we need flexibility in in your lms to do that you can't come and tell me that my loan management system will start calculating penal interest the moment the due date has crossed you know i understand that i understand where lenders are coming from but if you have to disrupt the long tail sme you have to create more flexible systems you have to create a system which knows ki we can that we can give two days of buffer that we can give three days of grace period that you know there is a possibility of a two day delay in payment i don't have to charge a penal interest on that i think that's where in fact i was discussing with one lender they said we can't do that i was like you have to think about it if you have to do business with rupify you will have to either go to your lms provider or tell me i can get you an lms which is flexible enough but we all have to evolve otherwise there's no difference between us and traditional lenders right 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 and how much of your revenue comes from subvention and how much comes from when customers decide to roll over or convert to emi and things like that where where in a way you are earning from the customer I think ninety-five to ninety-seven percent is subvention. We have very few, very few customers rolling over, and we also don't charge very high rates there because that's not how we make money. We are not a credit card. We a credit card company wants you to revolve, right? Otherwise, that's how they make money. That's how they make money. Otherwise, they'll not make money. We are not like that. We don't want you to revolve. We want you to pay on time. We want, in fact, we are happy with people paying early. because because that is a small margin right so we promote people we we incentivize people to pay early we educate them that why even a one day delay is not good for you so the same thing i think you know the same 
penal interesting also applies to reporting. So when we speak to lenders, they were like, okay, if the customer does not pay in time, I can give you grace period, but my system will start reporting him to civil and bureau as two days delayed or three days delayed. I told them, don't do that. You, you can't, you can't keep spoiling these small businesses credit score for one or two days delay. Like your one day DPD will, Sybil will impact, it. Sybil will completely, you know, reduce the score by 70, 80 points, right? And this is not a, this is not an intentionally bad customer. This is the nature of his business. So, so we are creating that product. We are talking to these lenders that how can we inculcate this buffer period or this flexibility in the, in every aspect related to reporting and to, in fact, we spoke to RBI last week. So RBI has come up with a sandbox on MSME lending where RBI is saying we are inviting startups to come forward and we will give them a sandbox where we will relax some of the regulations, right? And they have to prove why that regulation has to be relaxed and how does it not adversely impact the business, right? So for example, the this whole requirement of penal interest being charged from due date, if I want to relax it, right? As a, as a regulatory practice. We have to show them that, hey, we have relaxed it and there is no impact. We have still maintained a good portfolio and all that. So we are discussing some of these, some of these aspects with RBI on the regulatory front. It's a long, it's a long journey. You know, these things don't, don't happen overnight. They take months and months. But, but one thing we are very clear that if we have to solve for these long tail SMEs, there are significant radical changes that have to be made. What is the size of your loan book today? We've done close to 500 till date. There's, there's hardly a loan book, Akshay, because ours is a very short-term product. So every 30-day loan book gets churned. So there's no book to be built, honestly. But cumulatively, we've done 500 crore plus to, so far. Okay. So what is the key challenge for you to solve? Is it on the demand side, like finding more ways to onboard more customers, like, you know, doing more collaborations or is it on the supply side, like finding more sources of funds, finding lenders who are flexible? What is like the key challenge? I think two challenges. One is the supply side, definitely. Like you have understood, right? This, this whole flexibility, this whole openness to, to innovate and change things the way you have been doing for decades. Now I'm telling them that, you know, change it. That's a challenge, obviously. The second challenge is what we discussed, right? Marketplaces, today I have a seven-day integration timeline. How do I bring it down to one day? That's something we are working on. So these are these are two things which are very important for us. Demand hai, demand is there. But to capture that demand, you need to you need to make it frictionless. That's what we are working on. And what what kind of numbers do you see yourself hitting by say 2025? Like what what do you have some targets or how, how big would the business be by then? Like So our North Star metric is how many SMEs have been impacted. Today, that number is close to close to around 75,000. So 75,000 sm small businesses actively use Rupify. We have a target to touch close to a million by next financial year. And by 2025, we want to impact 15 million SMEs in the country. People who borrow through Rupify, then in a way you are also helping build up their credit history, right? But anyone who borrows, then their Sybil record gets created. Correct. 45% of my customers had no history on Bureau when they came to me, right? Because I was underwriting based on transaction data. I was not looking at Bureau as the primary source, right? So we've done a lot of, we've done a lot of impactful lending, I would say, because customers who have no credit history, they've also been able to get credit from us. And now we've helped them build that credit history. 
Right. So so now it actually unlocks a lot more for them because that credit history will enable them to get bigger loans should they want to in future and different kind of loans. Yes. Yeah, and that and those different loans or cards or other credit products that could be anybody. I mean, it could be us offering them or it could be anybody from the market, right? But at least we've opened that that chain of events. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books and drama. Visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u m .in for a complete list of all our shows.